The loudest cheer of the day is for the timekeeping phone. (laughs) My daughter found it. You can always trust the teenager to find the technology that's been misplaced. I wanted to add to what Andrew just said about um, just how God works in in breaking us to bind us up and wounding us to heal us. Um, I just want to... I hate that Christian word, echo. I just want to echo what the other person said. Like, I don't have anything actually to say. Um, I wanted to say that Romans 8, some of the impetus of Romans 8 and where we're focusing as we go through these things, Romans 8 touches on, on some very um, heart-heavy but real-life things. Um, and and I, I, I prayed long and hard before I settled on teaching on Romans 8 before we came over here uh, that I should do Romans 8 with you because... It's not what I would normally do. Uh, I would normally not take a, pas- a, a passage, a chapter like this, and teach it at a church weekend away. Um, y- you can ask Kaylee at our church. I, I like to tell jokes. Uh, I'm sort of like a stand-up Christian comedian at our church, you know. That's a joke. Um, you can see how good I am at this. Uh, and I, I have a natural bent towards humor and lightheartedness and stuff, and uh, and, and Romans 8 doesn't really easily merge with uh, my natural bent to tell lots of jokes and humorous stories and stuff. And yet, uh, as I prayed and thought through it, the truths that uh, we, because we, we taught uh, Romans 8 through at our church uh, last year. And as we did that, it was a series that was different from the rest of the diet that our church have. And, and, and whilst our people found it somewhere as difficult and heavy going, what we saw in the depth of the love of God and the maturity in our people was just astounding. Um, and, and it is a wrestling thing. Some of the sessions that, some of the things that we're still going to deal with in sessions are, are suffering. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's coming later. That's not an easy thing. So some of, the, some of the routes we're going are through the dark lands, as it were. But this is real life. This, this is real life. Um, and, and, and God's word is true and good for us, and he, and he takes us through these things, and, and he, he, will, he will break you. He will. It's not when. He will. He will break you. He will dismantle your life because he loves you. And I know that isn't, even as I say that, there's, there's a resistance, and you, some of you physically lean back. You'll be terrified of that unless you hold it together with the fact that it's a loving father who does the dismantling. You're in good hands. You're in the best hands. And he's the one who does the dismantling. People may hurt you. People will wrong you. People will, people will try and dismantle your life and bring suffering apart. But when God does it, when God allows it, it's, always with, it's cloaked with this tenderness and this love that is unlike anything else. And you're in perfectly good hands, even when you are, as Andrew said, under the waves and upside down and don't know where, and you know, your head from your feet. You're still in good hands. There's still someone whose eyes are completely over you, his face is towards you, and you may feel like you're getting totally sandblasted under the waves there. I feel like all these uh, ocean analogies are just falling flat on a bunch of non-beach dwelling Londoners, but uh, uh, just imagine yourself. <laughs> Four years uh, traveling there, and uh, you're there, and you've been tumbled over. But 
God's face is towards you. And this, this whole weekend, for some of you, may just feel like that, just, just being tumbled. But, but I want to remind you, God's face is towards you. It's, it's not happening outside of his gaze. This is exactly what he wants to happen to you. He wants you sort of confused and provoked and disturbed and upset and annoyed and having things that you had thought you had dealt with come front and center again. It's exactly what he wants. You thought you had dealt with it. God's not finished with you yet because you haven't dealt with it yet. There's more layers of what he's doing in you. But God is exceedingly gracious. And that's what we're going to talk about a bit in this session about the fatherhood and the, and the sonship in Christ. So... Let's read together Romans 8. We're going to pick up from verse 14. We're just going to go through to verse 17. Verse 14. For all those led by God's Spirit or God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Let's, Let's pray again together. These are living words, Father. Session by session, we want to pause and pray that you would speak. We don't want to ever assume that we are bright enough to see into your word that which we need to see. Unless the spirit of revelation opens up our eyes, unless the Holy Spirit himself is our teacher, we don't have what we need to see what we need to see, know what we need to know, receive from you what you would want to do. And, And so with humble hearts, we are before you again. And we're crying out to you, As our Father, would you speak? Would you shake off any dullness in our spirits that would cause us not to hear? Would you give us great joy in you, delight in your word, even in this session, in these minutes we spend together now? Amen. One of the defining marks of a believer in Jesus is that you are a son of God. As Paul says here, you're a son of God. That's what definition of you, almost an identifying mark. It says those who are led by God's spirit are God's sons. God's sons are those who are led by God's spirit. It's an interchangeable thing. You're a son of God if you're led by the spirit of God. Those who are led by the spirit of God can only be God's sons. And even as I say that, I want to make a couple of comments about what sonship is and then talk through um, I've got a few points. I don't even know how many there are, maybe five or six, uh, digging into this idea of sonship. But I want to talk about, I want to say that sonship is positional. It's positional and relational. It's got nothing to do with gender. Okay, like some people flatten out the Bible, and you can, you can even buy versions of the Bible these days that have taken out any uh, gender reference. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's all kind of gender neutral if you want and they've taken they've taken the hard edges off the sonship kind of and and flatten it out and I actually think it's done a disservice to the scriptures because sonship is positional and and relation it's not about 
men are more important in the kingdom of God. That's utter nonsense. And that's not a biblical idea. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Equal, standing before God, both image bearers of God. But to flatten it out and to, to take away the idea of sons, us, us all, men and women being sons, dumbs down the positional standing we have with God. Whether you are a man or a woman in this room today, if you say that you follow Jesus, you are a son of God. Because it's a positional thing. It is, um, the Bible was given, us, given to us in a context at a time, and at a time that it's, it's given, what Paul's talking about here, uh, the son uh, was the, the heir. The, the, the blood goes through the line of the son. He is the heir, the inheritor of everything. He is, um, if, if you sent a son, he carried the same authority and weighs as the father. All of these things we could go on and on, but it's a positional thing. So it says when a woman, Natasha, I'm just picking on you because you happen to be in the front here, unfortunately for you. Uh, uh, Natasha, if you, if you ever go and listen to the sermon repository at Parkhurst, which you won't, you'll hear Kaylee's name in like every second sermon because she always sat over there, right there in my eye, and I would always pick on Kaylee. She's like my go-to illustrator. As we say, like, imagine Kaylee and like blah, 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 blah. One day when you're old and gray, you can listen to all these things that are true about you. But now it's your turn, Natasha. <laughs> Natasha is a son of God. Natasha is a son of God. Positionally. God has called her to be his son and put her in that place, a rightful heir with delegated authority in relationship with him. It's not that the men run the show and the women get to add up the numbers. Men and women in this room who follow Jesus, you are the sons of God. So let's talk about what sonship is about. The first thing is that sonship is about adoption. Sonship is about adoption. I, I'm not sure how big adoption is in the UK. Um, if, it's a, if it's a big deal, maybe somebody can just like say, big deal, no, not a big deal. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Could be a bigger deal. Needs to be a bigger deal. Yeah, that's probably true. But So I don't know how many, if there's anyone who's adopted kids in this church, uh, in our church back home, we have a growing wave of, of people who are adopting. We have a massive need back home in South Africa. And, and it's wonderful. By God's grace, we've seen more and more of our families adopting kids. And it's, and it's wonderful. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's such a tangible gospel picture. And in South Africa, it's perhaps made more stark because much of the adopting is done in our context by white families. And it's almost only possible to adopt black children and so it's just like a vivid picture before you see the family. And it's not like, I wonder if that kid's adopted. You know, it's not like, mm, I wonder. Like, they don't look much like the folks. It's like, no, clearly adopted, clearly adopted. And it's there in front of your face. And it's such a gracious picture. It's a wonderful reminder for us to see these families coming into the church and say, adopted, adopted, adopted. And it's a good reminder for us that our sonship is about adoption. It's not a natural thing. This was not your natural state. A child of God. You weren't born a child of God. And there's a sense in which all of creation is, can call God Father in a creative sense, but not in a relational sense at all. You were not born in relationship with God as a son or a daughter of his. 
weren't born a son. And it's good for us to get clear on that because we look back down the road and something happened in our salvation that made us sons. God got a hold of us. God initiated the adoption process. Isn't that right? Have you ever, I mean, my kids, I think, sometimes have wanted to put themselves up for adoption. We vetoed it on every, well, some, there's some days where we thought we'd encourage it, but <laughs> most times we veto it. But no kid puts himself up for adoption. It's initiated by the adopting one. God took the initiatives with you. One of the verses I love so much is when Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I feel safer in this church saying that. There's some churches where you go where you mention that verse, like, well, I don't like that. I like the fact that I got to choose God. I'm like, yeah, but... I know you lied, like feel like you chose him, but that's utter nonsense. Yeah, yeah, welcome to the Bible. Open it up and read. It's not true. So that's a bit, bit blunt. I know. I'm South African, and I've got some South Africans here. They can soften it and understand. I don't have the English politeness. No. I need to spend more time over here. Um, but it's just it's, it's, it's a garbage. It's not. You may feel like I chose God, but the biblical truth of it is that Jesus says you didn't choose me. I chose you. It's beautiful. I chose you. I chose you. I picked you out. You should just sit and be like, God chose me. And you know what? He didn't choose you because there's anything lovely about you. We spoke about that already. He wasn't flipping through a catalog and saying, well, this one looks nice. And you read about this one. Oh, this one. You know, likes to play with Lego or whatever. Like, I want to pick this one. You know, it's like, there was nothing lovely or attractive or anything. We were a bunch of rebels. And yet God chose you. And he adopted you. He initiated the adoption process. It may not be a natural state that you find yourself in, having been adopted, but it's permanent. It's permanent. You ask any of the kids in our church who've been adopted if they feel how they feel about their adoption. And they'll look at you with a blank stare. I mean, like, what do you mean? Like, this is my family. Like, I'm, I'm part of the family. I don't feel like I'm going to get shipped off somewhere. Like, this is a permanent arrangement. And the adoptive process, it moves. I don't know what it's like here, but it moves normally from, uh, from fostering. Uh, sometimes it's really fast-track fostering to adoption. And adoption is a legal uh, declaration. The government get involved and they say, you now legally belong to this person or to this couple uh, we've got a, a single lady in our church who's just adopted um, a gorgeous little eight-month-old girl. Uh, and she walks around so proudly with her at church. It's just such a wonderful picture. And she is legally her daughter. She has papers and her surname is the same. She is part of that family. It's a legal certainty. She's not getting shipped off anytime soon because legally she belongs to her. And there's a, in a legal sense... In an ultimate sense, you belong to God. God's not shipping you off anywhere. God's not harboring you for a bit and going to boot you out if you don't make the grade, if it doesn't work out like he hoped. I don't know if any of you have ever fostered. Fostering is tough. I'll take my hat off to families who foster children because they're in that in-between space. It's halfway between adoption. They're trying to provide a loving home kind of thing, but easily the child can get moved on somewhere else, get adopted, move to another fostering facility and stuff. Slightly unsettling for kids, even though they've been deeply, deeply loved there. Sometimes I think we treat our relationship like that with God, where we're like, what if I don't make the grade, Jay? Am I going to get moved on? 
I mean, imagine, imagine a child growing up in a home like that where they had to perform in order to stay in the house. You had, to, you had to meet all your parents' expectations in order to stay under the roof. Otherwise, it was like, see ya. We had hoped this would work better. Sat you down on the couch and thought, you know, like when we had you, we had high hopes for you, you haven't met them, and we're palming you off to somebody else. I mean, it's unthinkable. It's never going to happen. And yet, in our relationship with God, sometimes we think that. We think God accepts or rejects us based on our performance. We think the intimacy is wrapped up in how good a child of God you are. Not the fact that you are just chosen and deeply loved by him. The first thing sonship has got to do with is adoption. It wasn't your natural state, but it's permanent. And it's something worth delighting in. The second thing it is about is intimacy. I think adoption is more glorious than justification in some ways. Because justification saves you. I know I'm using big words here. You know, justification, the legal kind of um, declaration of sinlessness over your life. I think adoption is more beautiful because it brings in an intimacy. It's not that God has just saved you, and I referenced this in the first session. It's not like he's just saved you, welcomed you, and, and said, just now, just now keep your nose clean and don't break anything in the house. You can come stay with us. But just, just don't touch anything. Don't put your sticky fingers on anything. Don't leave any crumbs anywhere. You know, don't mess the place. You just, just be grateful that I let you come and stay. Can you imagine God was like that? Some of us, we tiptoe around in our relationship with God like that. So, oh, don't want to upset him. I want to put a sticky finger anywhere. I want to spill the crumbs. My daughter, God bless her, she's not in the session. She's the clumsiest human you will ever meet. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I mean, we're st- we're, she is. I'm not even joking. We're, we're staying, in, we're staying in, a, in, a, in a friend of ours' house. They got married like three months ago. I'm going to tell him this, girls. Don't tell him yet. So she's trying to get something out of the microwave, and, and she yanks the thing kind of thing. I don't even know what she was doing. I wasn't in the kitchen. And, and down comes this mug and breaks all over the floor. But it's, I pick up the pieces, and I realize it's like, Elizabeth and Michael married. Like, I'm just like, oh, Lord, you broke the special marriage mug. It's like they've only had it for like three months. I'm like, oh. I'm like, go sit in the lounge. Just let me know if you need anything. I'll run backwards and forth. I'll bring you everything, feed you, pour the tea down your throat. She's just a klutz, you know. But I'm not about to. I don't even know where I was going with that point there. Um, just, just venting here, you know. <laughs> Right, now that I've got that out of my system, we can, we can get on with it. I don't know quite now how I'm going to break the news about the broken marriage mug, but marriage is still going strong, thank <laughs> you're not You're not invited to just sit there and, and keep your hands on your lap and just, like, just behave. You're not just saved. You're invited in as a son. And, and th- that intimacy of us being adopted is something that I want to, I want to, I want to drive into Uh, in this session. Paul says we get to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. We get to use the language of intimacy with God. We get to call him Daddy. We get to to speak with him with an intimacy. It's not formal. It's not like, Father? Hello. You know, like, uh, and they have this rigid, like, how are you? Um, And you can see this. 
It doesn't often happen with young kids. It only happens normally when they're older because parents have taught their kids with this harshness and this sternness to approach them in that way. And they're, they're fearful of their parents. And they come and you can hear, you can tell a lot about the relationship between uh, parents and their kids by how, how, how the kids talk to them. There's like this, this, this coldness. and this, That's not what God wants for us in our relationship. He wants to be us people call him Abba, Father. There's a tenderness and there's an intimacy. When, whenever I've gone traveling, the great delight having a five-year-old. I almost wish I always had a five-year-old in my house. Some days I want to sell him, but those days are few and far between. But a five-year-old is this unique mix that he can like bath himself and feed himself, which some of the parents of young kids are like, please, Jesus, bring that day sooner. And he's still young enough to just be like crazy and absolutely think that I am the best person on the planet. And whenever I've gone away, uh, he makes sure, and Claire makes sure that she, uh, he comes to the airport uh, to see me. He's not like, I don't want dad catching an Uber. He understands all these things, car train. He wants to be at the airport. He wants to see, me, to see me come through the doors. And he'll run like a crazy person, like towards me, shrieking, Daddy! Daddy! You know, like, you know, it just bowls me over. And I, sometimes I'm not coordinated enough to with a suitcase, and it's a bit of a mess, and I've dropped him once on the suitcase. <laughs> it was a soft landing, and he made a full recovery. But uh, it's, it's a bit chaotic and stuff. But you can see other people looking on and they're like, oh, that looks so sweet kind of thing, you know. And, like, it does your heart a lot of good when you've had a long flight and this little kid is just, like, wrapping his arms like an octopus around you. It's just like, daddy, daddy. And when I think of a relationship with God, I think of that. I think of that kind of intimacy, this assumed intimacy. He's not thinking for a second, oh, oh, oh no, I wonder if dad's going to want to see me. If he's maybe time, maybe she'll give him some time, you know. Maybe he wants to say hi to somebody else, go to a shop first. He doesn't care. He's like, hey, he's my dad. Like, woohoo, you're home. Oh, come here, you know. Like, and that is how it is with God. Let me say it again. That is how it is meant to be with God. That is what God longs for you. How he, he longs for you to treat him like that. There's this assumed desire of intimacy. That God wants you to be able to relate to him like that. Paul says, by this we cry, Abba Father. We cry, Abba Father. It's not a casual thing. It's not like, yeah, I'm pretty stoked that God's my dad. How lame is that? He wants you to get excited about the fact that God is an intimate dad to you. He wants us to be like something that just blows your mind and sets you spinning. It's like, I've got a dad like this. And I love him, and he loves me, and I'm just delighted in this, and it just changed everything. We get to be loved by him and love him in return in this intimacy. I love what Paul says early in Romans 5. He says, hope does not, um, chapter 5, verse 5, he says, hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. It's like when you become a Christian, God just like, just pours love into you. And I think it's meant to be an ongoing thing. Just this, this deluge of love, love, love. We live amongst an unloved people. Those friends of yours who don't follow Christ, they are unloved. They are unloved because unless you've experienced the soul-satisfying love of God, you have, you have shards of it through other relationships. You have tastes of it. You have pictures and... Foretaste, but you don't have the genuine article. 
when you become a believer, God pours his love into you. And it's like, what is going on here? It's wonderful to see that happen for the first time, and it's wonderful to see it happen for the hundredth time as God just lavishes love and just delights over people. That's my prayer for many of you today and this weekend, that you would have a fresh outpouring of the love of God in your life. Because this kickstarts everything else. It, it, it kickstarts. It's the fuel for everything. It's the fuel for mission. It's the fuel for intimacy with God. It's the fuel for devotional life. It's the fuel for everything. Being loved and loving in return. We don't worship our way into that. We worship our way from being drenched in the love of God. You didn't choose me. I chose you. God starts that process and we respond. We respond to that. Many, many people struggle with this, as I've spoken about this with other people, realize that this is a major sticking point for some people. We struggle because we often just project onto God the image of whatever father figure we've had in our lives. It's like that, that's what God's like. And whatever kind of dad you've had, that becomes your default setting on how you approach God. And it could be excellent and then you just go from that, or it can be abysmal or absent. And, and some people have a fearful approach to God. You, you're terrified of God because you were terrified of your earthly dad. You're worried that if you put a foot wrong, basically you'd be out of the house, you'd be punished or you'd be abused. I mean, there's terrible stories. People have gone through stuff. My story matches some of that. And God had to unteach me a whole bunch of stuff that was so jacked up around dysfunction in that. Some of it's just so cold. Some of your fathers never, ever... Uttered. We had this guy shared his testimony in baptism three weeks ago in our church, and it absolutely almost floored me. I had to pull myself together to baptize this guy. He said his dad never, ever told him that he loved him. Not once. Not once. I was just like, you are kidding me. Not once. It's one thing if your dad is absent and not there to say it, but living with him and never ever hearing that, I love you, I'm proud of you, you belong to me, you're my son, I delight in you. Not once. As he said that, that just totally finished our church off. He carried on speaking about how God had done this work of pouring his love into this guy's heart. His dad still hasn't said he loves him, but the father, his real father, has demonstrated his love to him. And man, this guy's life is ablaze. It's just so beautiful to see that your real father's words carry way more weight than your earthly father. Did you hear that? Your real father's words carry way more weight than your earthly father. Some of you need to settle that this weekend. I, I alluded to it that some of my background is a bit of a mess. And I uh, joined Youth for Christ when I, not long after I'd become a Christian. And I remember the guy was leading us in this thing of how to pray. And he said, yeah, Picture your, um, picture your father. Picture God as a father. He said, picture God as a father. And I just remember sitting there thinking, okay, cool. And I had a blank. I had a blank. Because I didn't grow up knowing my dad. Uh, my mom married a stepfather who was uh, an abusive, adulterous, uh, gambling drunkard. And, and that was late in life. And then he, he died tragically as well. That further complicated things. And as I sat there thinking with this guy's encouragement and advice, like, picture, you know, God as a father. I was just like, I've got nothing. I've got nothing to help you with there, bud. 
you know, other people like writing all these things, and I'm like, that must be amazing. Like, wow, you got so much to work off there. And I was just like, oh, I ain't got nothing for you. And God has, over the years, had to, through this book, through this book, show me this is what it means to be a dad. This is what I'm like. Here, this is what I'm like. And God has, by his grace, brought godly men into my life who fathered me and showed me this is what a father's like. This is what a father's like. This is what the love of the father feels like. This is a good love. It's a safe love. It's a strong, correcting love. Massive, massive image back. Uh, massive problem back in South Africa. Fatherlessness. I don't know what it's like here. I don't know you lot. I don't know how many of you know your fathers love them, what your picture or images of it is. But I can guarantee you whatever it is, it's setting the pace initially for your, your picture of God. And unless you rewire it with the revelation of what the real, your real father says about who he is, you're on a slippery slope because you'll always relate to him with whatever has been passed on to you. Sonship is about assurance. It's about assurance. How many of you have ever doubted whether you belong to God? Some of you, this is a bigger deal than others. Some of you came to God and you've never questioned, never looked back since. Assurance. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? It's an amazing help for those of you who doubt. And the image shows that the Holy Spirit gets into the witness box. Imagine a courtroom. I don't know what like, courtrooms are like here. I was having a chat with somebody yesterday, and they were explaining the difference between prosecute. No, no, I'm not going to completely butcher the conversation we had. Anyway, imagine you're on trial. You're in the defendant's box. I mean, you've been accused of not being, not being a son of God. And you're trying to put your best case forward. No, I am because of X, Y, and Z. The picture here is that the Holy Spirit gets into the witness box with you. He says, puts his arms around you. Well. Yeah, yeah, I know him. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely a son. I can, I can vouch for this one. This one's a son. Got this one covered. And his words in that courtroom carry the most weight. And the case is closed and it's done. Gets into the witness box with you when you can't make a case for yourself. And says, this one belongs to God. Oh yeah, this, this one's definitely a son. Belonged to God. Deeply, deeply loved. I love that picture. I think it's either Spurgeon or Lloyd-Jones who talks about a father and a son walking down the road. And they're holding hands and they're walking along and the, the son is enjoying the walk with the dad going on. I mean, I don't... You get to walk outside every now and then in the UK, I suppose. You have to use your imagination. Yeah, no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> They're walking along, and next thing, the dad just stops and he turns to pick up the kid, just swings this kid around, spins him up in the air, violates all the health and safety things, and <laughs> throws him up and down, left, right, and center, shakes him up and down, tickles him, and plonks him back down next to him again. The kid's just like, beaming, just feeling like in that moment deeply, deeply loved by the Father. It's not that he didn't know beforehand. Oh, that's my dad. But what he feels at the instance when your dad puts his feet back on the floor, he's like, 
my dad takes such delight in me. I really am his. There's so much joy of the Father over me. There's a sense in which I, I think that's what God wants to do with some of you this weekend. You know you're his. You know, you know you're his. But you have forgotten the delight that the Father has over you. The delight that he has over you. He enjoys you. He enjoys you. When he looks at you, he makes up songs about you. Zephaniah says that. He sings songs over you. He delights in you. And he wants, he, he wants you to know that. And experience, not know it here. Say, yeah, yeah, God delights in me. Yes, yes. Never feel any joy in God. He wants you to feel your feet whizzing around in the air. And we're like, what's going on here? Put down and just this overwhelming delight that the Father has over you. Last thing I'll say here is that sonship is about inheritance. It says if we are sons, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. What I'm going to say about this is this is such a wonderful promise of what's to come. And the guarantee here is that the, the driving point here is that you don't need everything now. You're an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. You will lack nothing. You will lack nothing. You will lack nothing in this life that God doesn't need for you to have. And in the coming ages, you're going to be an inheritor together with Jesus so you don't need to engineer your life so that you have everything now. And if London sounds a little bit like, a, like Johannesburg, people in Johannesburg are selling their souls and working ridiculous hours and exhausting themselves to get everything they think their heart needs now. And if you live as an heir, you realize, I don't need it now. It's coming one day. God will give. I'm going to be an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. There's nothing that my heart desires that I will lack, that I need, that I will lack. You don't have to expend yourself now chasing after the world's things. All these things are the world's things. I wasn't stressed that I lost my phone. I was just stressed I can't chat to my wife. These are the world's things. Some of you are young here. You're more panicked that if you ever lost your phone, your world would collapse. These are the world's things, guys. They're expendable nonsense. Everything. These are the world's things. One day, we don't even understand the glory that's coming of what we will inherit with him. Please don't waste your life and your energy chasing after the world's things. Go hard after God and after the enjoyment of the Father over you. That is, the, that is amazing. Let me close by saying this as we go into communion. The last thing that sonship is about is discipline. Let me just read this passage to you as we close it out. Hebrews 12 verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not take lightly, uh, take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you've been reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he punishes everyone he receives, every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that, fa that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegit illegitimate children, not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us 
we respected them, shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, our earthly fathers, based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. The last thing I want to say as we close, because I do want to have time for us to share in communion, is that God may be disciplining you. And not to despise it. God, it may, it not, not because he's punishing you, it's because he's refining you. And discipline, Paul says, that you should delight in discipline because it's a sin. You're, it's a reminder to you that you're genuinely a son. You're genuinely a son. That's the, the, the importance of discipline. It's like, I've been disciplined. This feels uncomfortable. It's not pleasant at the time. God's saying, I'm disciplining you because you are my son. This is a reminder to you that my son, and you will share in my holiness. Imagine I can guarantee you a process that made sure that at the end you got to share in the holiness of God. You would sign up for that, I think, most of us. It's just we, we're, com- we're comfort lovers. We're comfort lovers. We don't want anything that disturbs our comfort, and yet God takes us on the uncomfortable routes to discipline us, to lead us to holiness. Let's pray together before we lead into communion. I felt, I felt particularly strongly in, in praying for this and preparing for this session this morning. That, um, lots of different things that I've alluded to and spoken to, but one particular thing that some of you are full of fear, full of fear around what God is doing in your life or just around your life in general. There's a, there's a crippling fear. And, and the God wants you to, to just grow this weekend in, in, in an ability to trust Him as a good father. You're worried about your finances. You're worried about your future. You're worried about finding a life partner. You're worried about your children. You're worried about work. You're worried, you're worried, you're worried. There's just fear everywhere. You have unnatural fear of, of dying there's this fear that's crippling you it's crippling your enjoyment of God and God wants to this weekend release you from those things he wants to break in and lavish his fatherly love over you and say I'm a good dad I'm a dad like no one uh, no one else like none other and, and release you from that fear you can learn to trust him and delight in that